This is the beginning of a section of scripture that is, uh, I think, one of the treasures of <clears throat> of all the Bible. John thirteen through seventeen. It's uh, all material that's unique to the Book of John, and it's really his in depth portrait of uh, and description of Jesus' real intimacy in the, with his disciples in the final moments, uh, in the final hours before his crucifixion. And he begins this section with, um, with the washing of his disciples' feet. So we're just going to talk about that this morning, you know, the washing of the disciples' feet. And at the end, we're all going to sit up here and uh, wash each other's feet. No, we're not going to. No, don't be scared. Um, but uh, let, let's, let's pray real quick. Actually, let me read uh, Luke 22. This is sort of the context. Luke 22, verse 24. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and and those in authority over them are called benefactors. Not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. Father, I pray that you would anoint your word, that it would uh, penetrate our hearts, God, that it would uh, get inside of us, that it would change us, Lord, transform us into your image by the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So that section in Luke is the context for this display that Jesus puts on. All right, there is an argument that arises among his disciples, even at this stage, right? This is three years into his ministry. They've heard a lot of his teaching. Uh, and still they don't understand what it means to be great in the kingdom of God. They don't understand who Jesus is. Um, so let's just read down through here. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the, this world to the Father... Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Uh, that means he loved them to fullness. He loved them. He, he fulfilled his ministry to them. Right? It's, it's, uh, the end would be the, the, the purpose. Right? Not just he loved them until he died. It's he loved them to the full extent. He fulfilled his love for them. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God. Now, let's just stop right there. The two details that Jesus gives us. Number one, or that that John gives us. Number one, that Jesus knew about Judas. He knew who he was. He knew what he was about to do. He knew it the whole time. As he was washing his feet, he knew it. So that's one detail. And and John comes back to that at the end of the, the story here. But Jesus also knew uh, that he had all authority. 
that the Father had given all things in his hands. All right, and that's another important detail. And he also knew that he was divine, that he had come from God and was going back to God. And knowing all of these things, and that's very important that, that he knew all of these things, he rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. All right, this is more than just a detail about what he did with his clothes. Right? This is symbolic language. This is the Son of God laying aside his glory, laying aside who he is, laying aside his authority and his divinity to become a man and to associate with his creatures. So he, he lays aside his outer garments and he takes a towel, he ties it around his waist. Then he pours water into a basin it begins to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So, yes, this is an act of service. But it's also, um, it's also an echo of the entire project of salvation. Jesus coming down. Pouring himself out. So that his people could be clean. And then at the end of the, the episode, it says that he then put back on his, his garments and resumed his place. So the whole shape of salvation is here in this story. So he begins to wash, and, and when he gets to Peter, surely they must have been stunned. They're all sort of looking at each other like, oh, what's going on? And it's interesting that um, Jesus, he does some teaching when there's this... <laughs> this dispute that arises among them. But he also, he also completes an act. And this would have been silent. Right? So Jesus says, listen, you don't understand what it means to be great. And then he stops talking and he starts doing and acting. And he shows them. He doesn't just say, you guys don't understand. He says, let me show you what it looks like. Let me actually do it for you. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And uh, Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. I think this is one of the verses that indicates for us that this is not just foot washing. That Jesus isn't just saying, Here, let me do something kind of gross for you. Let me do like a servant's task for you. Yes, but what is that saying? What it's saying is something bigger than just this task. And they were, they were to understand. He's pointing to his death and his, and, his, and his resurrection. So afterwards, after what? After he dies, after he's risen, then you're going to understand what I've, what I've just done. If it was just an act of washing feet, they would have, under, I mean, that was, they would have understood that. Oh, Jesus is... Uh, Jesus is washing our feet. Okay. What they didn't understand was why Jesus had to do that. Okay. And this is what he talks to Peter about. So Peter says, you shall never wash my feet. Now, Peter, in classic Peter fashion, he doesn't understand what he's saying. He, his intentions may be good. He's indignant at the thought of his master 
The one to whom he had said, depart from me, master. I'm, an, I'm not worthy to untie your shoe. I'm not worthy. Depart from me. I'm a sinful man. He can't stand the thought of Jesus washing his feet, which makes sense, right? The indignity of your master getting down and washing your feet, that's a little off-putting. And Jesus says, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. What does that mean? I think he's saying, Peter, you don't even understand what you're talking about. If I can't get down and wash you, I cannot save you. Right? If, if, I can't, if you're indignant at me right now getting down and washing your feet, how indignant are you going to be to, to discover that the creator of the universe has become a man to, to redeem his creatures who have gone completely astray from him? Um, there's a, I, I want to read some of this because it was so good. There's a book called The Training of the Twelve. Uh, it's a really old book, and it's just about Jesus' relationship with his disciples. I recommend it. It's pretty dense. It's kind of old, uh, old language, sort of slow going at some points. But I want to read some of this because I think he has some great uh, insight into just sort of the whole, the, what, what Jesus is saying to Peter here. Um, so first of all, Peter says, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and head. Um, so Peter says two things up front. He says, do you wash my feet? He becomes indignant. And then Jesus says, uh, you don't understand now, but after your words, you're going to understand. And then Peter says, he becomes defiant. No, you're not going to wash my feet. And you remember, this isn't the first time Peter has done this. Peter has taken Jesus aside when Jesus begins to reveal the fact that he has to go to the cross, that that's where he's headed, that that's where his whole life is culminating. Peter takes him aside and begins to rebuke him. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. This is back in a couple of the Gospels, right right in the middle. Um, And so this is that same Peter who's saying, no, it's not going to be like this. Jesus, you're too too good for this. You're not going to wash my feet. But what he doesn't realize is that in saying that, he's, he's essentially damning himself. <laughs> well, then what do you have going for you? Right? If you're so indignant that you can't let me come and wash you, then who's going to do it? And if you can't stand the fact, if you can't stomach the fact that, that I have become a man and I'm now serving uh, my people... And you want to keep me at a distance, keep me in my high position. How is it that I'm going to come save you? Then Simon Peter said to him, he swings to the other end of the spectrum. Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, no, it's still, you're still not understanding. The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. Again, he knows I am washing the feet of someone who's about to betray me. So here's what, um, here's what this book, The Training of the Twelve, says uh, about this exchange with Peter. It says he, he virtually took his stand on these two positions, that he would admit of nothing which seemed inconsistent with, their, with the personal dignity of his Lord. He says, no, 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 you can't do this. I, you are too dignified to do this. And that he would, and that's when he says, do you wash my feet? 
And when he says, uh, no, you shall not wash my feet, it says that he would adopt as his rule of conduct his own judgment in preference to Christ's will. It doesn't seem right. Don't wash my feet. This doesn't seem like it should be. Peter's seeing things. It's a big theme in John. He's seeing things in a way that's actually blind. In other words, the ground taken up by this disciple compromised the whole sum and substance of Christianity. The former principle, sweeping away Christ's whole state and experience of humility, and the latter, not less certainly, sapping the foundation of Christ's lordship. So I think that's, that's a great insight. In saying, do you wash my feet? He's trying to do away with the humility of Christ. And in saying, no, you won't wash my feet, he's, he's doing away with the lordship of Christ. The humility and the lordship of Jesus, he says, Peter is sweeping them away just in, in, because he, of the way he sees things. Um, and then this is what he, he says. Uh, One who said, thou shalt not wash my feet, because the doing of it is, one, is unworthy of thee, might as well say, thou shalt not wash my soul. Or do anything towards that end, because it involves humiliating experiences. Go to the heart of the business at once and ask, shall the eternal Son of God become flesh and dwell among us? So he's saying, when Peter says, are you going to wash my feet? He says, he might, have well have, he might as well have said, shall the eternal Son of God become flesh and dwell among us? Shall he who is in the form of God lay aside his robes of state and gird himself with a towel of humanity to perform menial offices for his own creatures? And this is a great little sentence here. In short, incarnation, atonement, and Christ's whole earthly experience of temptation, hardship, indignity, and sorrow must go if Jesus may not wash the disciples' feet. If Jesus can't wash your feet, Peter, then you've misunderstood his entire ministry up to this point. Because the whole thing is shaped like this story. It's all about Jesus laying aside what's rightfully his. Remember at the beginning of it, it says, knowing that all things were his, knowing that he had come from God and was going back to God, what did he do? Laid all of that aside. And earlier, we, we just read maybe last week or a couple weeks ago, where he says, I have authority to lay my life down. Nobody takes it from me. I lay it down with my own accord. So when he rejects, when he says, no, you should not wash my feet, he's rejecting Christ's humility, which is in essence rejecting the whole uh, sum of, of Christ's ministry. But he's also rebelling against uh, the command of Christ. And he says, you're violating the, he, Peter is violating here the principle of obedience, which uh, he states as this. And this is awesome. Write this down. This is great. The principle of obedience. The will of the Lord, once known... Whether we understand its reason or perceive its goodness or not, shall be supreme. The will of the Lord, once known, whether we understand its reason or perceive its goodness or not, shall be supreme. And Jesus says, if you call me Lord and teacher, 
What do those two words mean? A teacher is someone who knows more than you, who's teaching you how to do something because you don't know it yet. A master, a lord, is a master of someone who has the, the authority and the capacity to direct someone to do something. And if they say, do this, that person needs to do it. So Jesus says, uh, it says, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. But you refuse to listen to, to heed my lesson and to, or to obey my command. You call me teacher and Lord, you don't treat me as teacher and Lord. Because you don't understand what I'm doing. But afterwards you will understand. So Peter did not understand what Christ was doing, and in that ignorance, he was basically rejecting Jesus. Rejecting the thing that Jesus had to do in order for for Peter to have fellowship with him. And Peter thought that that was, you know, Peter probably thought his intentions were good. No, far be it from you. Get behind me, Satan. Um, So he says, uh, I have... He begins to flesh out the lesson. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. So if Christ, if you, if you recoil at the fact of Jesus washing your feet, this is what Jesus knows then you're not going to understand what it means to go and wash each other's feet. You're going to think that beneath you. You have to let me wash your feet. And then you'll understand that when I say, go love the people around you, you're going to understand what that means. So Jesus did this to effect cleansing and salvation in their lives. But he also did it as an example. So he had to do both things. I need to wash you, because if I don't, no one can. I need to wash you so that you know what it actually means to be my disciple. It means to lay your life down for the people around you. A servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. So what's he saying here? I am your master, and I went the lowest. And if a servant can't be greater than the master, what does that mean? You can, never, you can never love someone from a position that's higher than where I went, which was the very lowest. Does it make sense that this part is confusing? He went to the very lowest, and a servant is never greater than his master. So what does that mean for us? We're never going to be higher than that. But that's what it looks like to follow Jesus, to love each other. And now here's the kicker. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. (laughs) If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So, Peter, you need to understand. You don't understand it now. You've got to let me do this. You're going to see that this is absolutely necessary. 
That if I don't do this, it means that all, the whole plan of salvation is built on the wrong foundation. Now, now that I've done this, and once you understand who I am, now you're going to be blessed if you go and do this. Right? Um, so, then he talks about Judas. Uh, I'm going to skip forward to uh, verse 31. Not because it's not important, but because I just want to stick on this theme of Jesus' example. When he had gone out, that's Judas, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now also I say to you, where I am going you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, is loving each other a new commandment? No. If you read the Old Testament, everything is pointed in that direction. Even in Jesus' day, they understood that the two greatest commandments, there's a lot of commandments, but what they all point to, what they all hang on, is love God and love people. So this isn't a new commandment. What's the new commandment? To love each other like I showed you. You've never had me in the flesh showing you what love is. Now you do. And now the commandment, which is covenant language, before it was a commandment, hey, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Love the Lord your God. Don't murder. Do all that. We've got a new covenant now. And what's the commandment associated with that covenant? What's your end of the bargain? Do for each other what I have done for you. Isn't that beautiful? This is the new covenant being established. You are now my new people. Walk with me. God is no longer far off. He's in the flesh. And he has done everything that he is commanding his people to do. He has already done it for them. So the new commandment is that now when we think about loving for one another, it, ha- it needs to look the way that Jesus showed us. That's the new commandment. God has come in the flesh and he has poured himself out. And we can't forget, you know, all through this passage that Jesus did all of this and said all of this for Judas too. Not just for Peter, for all the disciples. Jesus did it for Judas too. Uh, Meaning that love is not based on what someone's eventually going to be able to do for you. Love's based on obedience. And this gets back to that principle of obedience. If you know the will of God, regardless of how much sense it makes to you, it's supreme. You need to do it. Whether it makes sense or not. Did it make sense for Jesus to wash Judas' feet? Not really. But he was obedient. Um, all right, so just some summary thoughts, and then we'll just uh, come up to the table and, and med- meditate on these things some. Uh, 
So if, if Christ's glory prevents him from coming to us, we cannot be saved. If we with Peter say, no, you, you know, there's no reason for you to do that for me. What we're saying is that, well, all right, then salvation can't happen. God can't take on flesh and come into the world. Salvation can't come from within the created world. It has to come from outside. Somebody greater and bigger needs to come into the world to save it from itself. It's imploding. And if we say, Christ, you cannot wash our feet, we're saying that God, the creator, you cannot come and save the creation that's gone astray from you. It has to be God coming down into creation to save creation. The creator himself is the only one who can make things right. So it has to be Jesus washing our feet. It has to be Jesus laying aside his glory in heaven, taking on humanity, and as a man, as it says in Philippians 2, as a man taking the lowest spot of all men, being crucified on a cross, the most shameful thing that a human can do, that's what has to happen. Um, And that now when God says love each other, when he says I love you and when he says love each other, we know exactly what that means. First um, John 3.16, you've heard of John 3.16. First John 3.16 I think is even better. <laughs> Maybe not better. What does that say? First John 3.16 says this. By this we know love. In other words, do you want to know what love is? That he laid down his life for us. Period. How do you know love? Jesus laid down his life for us. That's the definition of love. And we ought to lay down our lives for brothers very simple Jesus says love each other can you find anyone in the world maybe a few wackos but can you find anyone in the world that would disagree with the fact that we should love each other probably not maybe some some moral philosophers who are kind of on the the weird end of the spectrum maybe Ayn Rand or whatever she was trying to write about um What? Yeah, something. I don't know. I never understood that. But everyone, you can go ask anyone over at UK, you know, 99 students out of 100. Hey, should we love each other? Yeah. Well, what does that mean? We know what it means. Everyone thinks that you should do this. We actually know how. <laughs> because Jesus showed us. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. Now, do you know this? That's not enough. Do you know what love is? Do you know how people should love each other? That's not enough. Blessed are you if you do it. Yeah? This is, this is so simple. Jesus is calling them little children. All through this section, he calls them little children. He's not treating them like the pillars, the 12 apostolic pillars of the church. He says, hey, kids... <laughs> Watch what I do. 
Now you do that for each other. Anyone can understand that. Blessed if you blessed are you if you do it. But the truth is that we cannot love like that unless we allow Jesus to love us like that. Unless we see the depth of what that is. Unless that that protest wells up inside of us and we say, do you wash my feet? You're not worthy of that. But I see that that's the only way. I think we should protest a little bit like Peter, but we shouldn't remain in that ignorance. We should realize the depth of what Jesus is doing. We should realize the indignity of it. And that should cause us to receive it deeply with a heart of gratitude. And say, I see. It was so bad that God himself had to confront it. That God himself had to take on all that weakness. I see. And I see that if, unless you wash me, unless you lay aside your outer garments and come into the world, I have no place in you. None of us has any place with you. So we need to, um, as we come this morning, there's just some, some meditations. We, we need to accept the work of Jesus in humility. Right? We need to accept his humility on our behalf. We can't be who he wants us to be. We can't love one another. We can't lay down our lives for the brothers unless we let his work have, his, have its full effect on our hearts. Unless we allow him to wash our feet, uh, we cannot love each other. But this happens, it, it, it saves us. We can't go around saving each other, right? But we can go around in exemplifying the love of Jesus. So Jesus washes us and he, he delivers us, but... In that washing, there's an example of what love looks like. Only his love can save. But we can model his love by laying down our lives for each other. Right? So this isn't just like, oh yeah, Jesus, he's the one that laid down his life. Aren't we all so happy about that? Let's, that's great. Let's all go to heaven. No, he, he did that to deliver us from ourselves. Now we can go lay down our lives for each other. We're not saving each other in doing that. We're not offering salvation to each other by doing that. We are obeying our Lord and Master, who has called us to do the same things that he has done. Um, So you you might need to think about that. You might need to actually let Jesus come and and show you that that you cannot, (laughs) even even because you think so highly of him, you can't can't spurn his... his, uh, Love. You can't, you can't send him away when he comes to, to wash your feet. He has to show you how to serve, because unless he does, you're not going to be able to do it yourself. Um, you might need to realize that. You, not, you might need to, to let Jesus uh, form your identity around the fact that he actually does love you, and he lays down his life for you. Um, and you can't recoil from that. Uh, you also might need to... Um, let the Holy Spirit examine your life and say, you know, how long has this lesson made sense to me? I've known this a long time. How much do I actually do this? How much do I actually, in the confidence that I have, just like Jesus' confidence that he had in who he was. He knew who he was. He knew I'd come from God. He knew he was coming back to God. He took all of that confidence and all of that assurance and he emptied himself. 
Do you take all that confidence, all that assurance, all the great stuff that you know about Jesus, all the experiences, the deep experiences of his love, do you take all of that and do you use that, in that security, do you lay your life down for people? Or you just kind of let him continually wash your feet and kind of get used to it? (laughs) He says, there's no blessing in that. There's blessing if you know this and if you do it. Um, So God wants to make all of us into the kind of people who love our own and love them to the very end. But we have to first let him let love us to the very end. And uh, after that, then we'll understand. We want to understand what, he, what he's doing. We understand the depth of, of what our rebellion and what our fear and insecurity causes him. Once, once afterwards, once he's done it, once our eyes have been opened, then we understand. We understand that we needed that, and then we understand now who, it, who, that, who we're called to be as a result. Um, so, Stephen, you want to come up, and we'll, uh, we'll pray. And this is, I think this is just a great call to communion, because um, this story happened during communion.